Hi, everyone. I'm Alex Carpenter. I'm Elizabeth Van Royen. And, and this, this is, is the Firestarters Podcast. Podcast. In this episode, we talk about the changes and opportunities in the personal health industry. We also discuss the power of asking for help and how you don't need to be a tech expert to build a tech startup. But first, I'd like to introduce you to our guest, Lee Sherry. She is driven to reduce the barriers to good health for everyone. She's an experienced exercise physiologist with a demonstrated history of working in the health industry. Let's dive into the show. Welcome, Ali. Thanks very much, guys. Appreciate the intro, even though I'm like, <laughs> Fully deserved. Fully deserved. Yep. <laughs> so to start off with, how would you define your industry for the purposes of this conversation? Um, I'd probably suggest my industry is health. I sound very healthy at the moment, I know. But um, health, uh, like behaviour modification, education, health literacy, um, I'd suggest is the space that um, my my the startup is in. We're focused on democratizing health literacy. I have a uh, bugbear about socioeconomic status kind of defining health access and health literacy. Um, and I think it's something that we can leverage technology to um, scale that and to change that. Um, so we've started in the corporate space, uh, so corporate health space, and we're looking to ripple that out to a, a couple of different sectors. Um, obviously, kids is a sector that I'm going to be really interested in as well. Amazing. Um, okay, well, then let's dive into one change that you've seen happen in that industry that you're excited about. So if we're thinking like 10 years ago, this looked very different. So what what's the big thing that's shifted that you're keen on? For me, it, it was a door that opened. Um, so I originally came up with the concept of desk coach like 15 years ago, um, but when I told people about it, it was pretty um, not well received. <laughs> it was normally kind of laughed out the door. Um, uh, COVID obviously and the pandemic, it, it kind of brought health to the forefront, especially in, in corporate um land so i think it's it's provided an opportunity for us as a business to kind of bring forward what i wanted to do personally it allowed me a bit of time to actually move out of the clinical space um and focusing on on the concept um and and executing on it and then i kind of just got addicted to executing stuff why did that happen why are we focused on health all of a sudden why weren't we doing that before yeah, good question. I've, I've always believed that um, it's we it's hard coming from health. Like that's been my whole world. That's all I've ever done. I'm I'm not smart in tech. I'm not smart necessarily in business. Um, you know, I, it's health is all I've known and all I've done. And for me, I'm kind of like in order for us humans to um, execute on anything, we we need to be healthy. We need to be well. Um, and I think it just with all the lockdowns and everything and people working from home and the way it influenced society, I think um, it kind of, by virtue of that, it brought up health as as a, a key sustainability kind of focus. And it is, in my belief, is your number one most sustainable asset in a business are its people. That's, that's it. Um, without that, you can't really execute on business. You can't really execute on too much else. So it's important to have healthy teams um, and 
not only teams at work, but then teams at home and family, et cetera. It's not, not just about one sector. It's important that, um, you know, your social health is maintained, your mental health, your physical health, your financial health. Um, so it, it's kind of multifaceted. Um, and I think corporate may have, uh, sorry, um, the pandemic may have just a little bit of a spotlight on it. And do you think, um, you know, you mentioned that COVID definitely had an impact in the timing of um, you setting up Desk Coach. Do you think in the health industry for people who are looking to create a startup in the in the space, does it need does it need to be some sort of large behavioral shift or large global event that happens in order to kickstart that, or can you kind of just jump in and, and see where it goes? Yeah, I'd I'd love to I'd love to say no, it doesn't need that. Um, I had been, I suppose. COVID put it on on the map, health on the map for um, it just I think it probably just realigned people's purpose a little bit and they, they got to understand that, you know, it was a, a global health pandemic that stopped the world. And that that that's a health thing that stopped the world. It wasn't necessarily a matter of financial, it was it was in relation to health specifically. Um, so I think I think everyone can create change. Like I think it's important that people realize good intentions towards others help. Um, however however you try to, to do that. So you can start small. The way I started was um, so clinically I would treat people like one-on-one. In my fun job teaching group fitness, I would teach one to a group of people and um, I mucked around in that space for a little while trying to figure out how was the best way to, to get my messaging across. Um, and that was then, well, now I'm, now I'm getting a bit greedy and I want to be able to scale it big style kind of thing. I want to have as many bums on seats, um, getting healthy, but I wanted to come at it from a supportive stance. Um, I find unfortunately, like not all, but unfortunately there's a lot of marketing that goes on, especially in the fitness space that kind of undermines people and it leverages people's insecurities. Um, in order for them to purchase something, right? So that constant undermining and that constant you need to look like this, you need to wear this, you need to be able to do this to be healthy or to be whatever label you want to put on it, I think um, has actually undermined people and it's been happening for, for years and years. Like we, I'm not going to bag social media totally because it, it could be tweaked, but unfortunately, you know, there's constant images of the way you're meant to look and then you're seeing people who end up with poor um, self-confidence, self-efficacy because they think, oh, well, hang on a second, I don't have ripped abs like that or I'm not able to run a marathon at that time. And I think I got frustrated enough in that space that I was like, well, I'm going to put my health hat on, but I want to do it from a, a preventative and a proactive space rather than a reactive space. And I might be a little naive, but don't really care what people say, but I'm a little bit of a people cheerleader. Like I think people are capable of a lot more than they think they are, but they've just got to be put in the right position. They've got to be supported, right? Um, and I think that that's something that sometimes is, is missing because people are too busy focusing on themselves. If I focus on other people and helping other people, it makes a world of difference. And I just think, I think if everyone did their little part on that, it probably, without sounding too, you know, Mother Earth statements, but it. I think if everyone did their part on that, it would, we would look a lot in better shape. Where do you think we are today on a, if you were to think about a, a you know, a scale or a timeline um, of 
the amount of, of um, focus and dedication that corporates are giving to their employees in terms of their health and building up their, um, you know, the, their wellness, uh, where do you think we're at? Is there still a long way to go? Or, or how are you seeing corporates, especially adapt to this new phase where we are, where there is so much general focus on health and post-COVID and, you know, coming out of that? What are your thoughts around that? I've actually been really encouraged with uh, a the conversations we're having um, and and the people's ideas on what we're doing, um, but also in the market more more broadly. There's been you, you may have seen like a lot of the chief wellbeing officers and chief health officers starting to come through. So I think business is starting to take it you know much more seriously, and I think they're starting to see the ROEs on investing in in health. So you know if you look at some of Johnson and Johnson's research, um, they've I think don't quote me on the numbers, but it was like three dollars eighty two to five dollars something um, for each dollar invested in reference to saving on costs for um, a loss of productivity, presentees and absenteeism, et cetera. Um, and that's, you know, you've also got to look at risks. So that Kozarov v. Um, State of Victoria that I talked about before, that one claim was worth $435,000, right? So I think because of the the other side of things, so the consequences, I think business by definition of that has had to take it um, a little more seriously. But I think it is important if your team's healthy and your team's productive and, you know, your team's well-fused and they're cohesive and I th- I, it's good business, right? Healthy business is good business. And I think that's I'm, I'm encouraged to see some of the signs um, and the direction that, that they're headed in. And what are some of what are some of the areas that, that you're seeing a lot of innovation in when it comes to corporate and uh, team health? I think the use of technology, right, to be able to scale things is is extremely important. Previously, um, a lot of corporate health, in my experience, had been quite piecemeal, quite ad hoc in its approach, generally speaking. You know, some companies do an amazing job and always have because it's kind of underpinned even what that business is about. Um, but I've seen, like, for years I've gone into to corporate, for example, and facilitated anything from a lunchtime talk where I may be in an organisation that has 6,000 employees in New South Wales, but I'm only talking to 20 people about I would be talking about exercise and they're there for the free lunch, I don't really care what I'm saying kind of thing. Um, but only that's only, like, once a year. You need those numerous kind of touch points and you need that, um, I want to say drip feeding, like that, that, kind of drip feeding of information and and help um, to get people to make those changes. So I I think I've I've been buoyed by starting to see the use of technology to help that uh, as opposed to, you know, me coming in to do a, an exercise session or to do a, a, a conversation, which is great. But from a business's point of view also, that's quite, in terms of, bang for buck for them you know they're paying a couple of grand for someone to come and sit at lunchtime and talk to you about xyz in the health spectrum um but you've only only 20 people in that room they're not really taking that much on and you've got an employment base of six thousand. that seems like an inordinate amount of money to spend on such a small um you know segment and they're the ones who are probably somewhat engaged anyway you need to grab the ones who are not engaged um because you change that even if you flick 10 to 20%, that's going to have huge impact, um, not only on the business, but 
more broadly um, on society. So if you've got someone in the workplace who all of a sudden has learned that when you sit down for long periods of time on repeat, your blood glucose profile is affected, which is a a risk factor for uh, type 2 diabetes, right? They know that information. They didn't have that information before because they didn't necessarily study something health-based. They can take that information home to their family and their friends, right, and pass that on. So it's that kind of like, ripple effect that we that I know that we're hoping to do and I'm I'm seeing more and more of it I'm also seeing which I'm really happy to really happy to see people from health coming across into this space um, not just people jumping into an opportunity that don't necessarily come from health um, so I'm, I'm really happy to see uh, you know psychologists and um, sports scientists and physiotherapists and OTs and all sorts coming into this space and trying to kind of um, scale what they've learned over the years and try and have an impact on people because it's going to take more than one or two companies to do it in in terms of going Back to, to health in the broader sphere. I mean, we've, we've spoken a little bit about corporates, but I'm curious on, you know, the, the future of work and, and the more employees working from home and, and there being, you know, the, the door to them taking control of their own health is maybe slightly more empowered than before COVID. Um, is, do you see that actually is the case? Do you think that the staff and employees are more empowered than they were before COVID or do you see that that's actually going the other way? Um, it's different because when I speak to different people in the, in the corporate space, they kind of all have slightly different reactions to it. Um, the fact that it's it's on the record that people are able to work from home as well as in the office. Um, I think that's, that's important. Um, in terms of people being empowered, I think there are a lot of steps that people, the business and, and people individually can take. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I created desk coach was because I wanted people to see how simple it was for them to change themselves. Um, I think from that point of view, there's, there are steps that businesses could be taking as well to allow for that. Um, you know, I'm also mindful of the, the workforce that has to go to work to do their jobs. So the teachers, the nurses, the hospital workers, um, you know, and, I, and I'm also mindful of, you know, their pay packet versus um, people who, who don't have the luxury of doing that. And I, I think, you know, that's something that everyone needs to be mindful of the, you know, COVID, the people who went to work, put themselves at risk, et cetera. Um, they didn't have an opportunity to to work from home. And it's not a comparison game or anything along those lines, but I, I think it's, it's something that we as a society should probably want to help and build teachers and health um, workers up a little bit because of, you know, the, the requirements of their job. Um, for those of us who have the luxury of working from home, it's it, we're, we're fortunate to be able to do that. I'm curious if if you weren't working in the stuff that you are working in, health for the broad population, what other things do you think you would be doing? Could be in health, but like what other what other ideas are in the back of your head that you are excited about? I'm so I've got another health startup that I'm building at the moment but that's quite fitness based right so and I I do that and that's fun I've always loved that career um I 
there's a couple of things I'd like to do. Um, Not-for-profit space interests me a lot. Um, I'm very keen, mature age population, um, disabled population. My, my brother has CP and um, I have been thoroughly inspired and motivated by him by for years and years and years. I think he's had a significant uh, impact on who I am um, and I would love to be able to see the impact that more broadly that people with disabilities could have um, on society and their um, the, the way that we're including people. Um, I think it is very much needed um, and very much overdue. So that's a space that I'm super passionate about and there's another startup that I'm building in that space. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm a why kid since I've been little. It's always been why, why. I was my mum, drove my mum and my dad nuts. Um, so I, I don't know. I like being able to think about how we can link things, link concepts, link people, help people. Um, other than that, I probably, this is going to sound really random, a forensic psychologist because I've got some morbid fascination with serial killers. I feel like there would actually be a fair bit around, you know, finding ways to, um, I don't know, to get, could almost build, uh, I've just been watching, um, started watching Only Murders in the Building and, you know, there's a couple of people that get very excited about true crime and then they get in and try to solve the mysteries and I feel like you could almost build a, a community-based app um, around solving true crime. Yeah. That is a very different rabbit hole to go down. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn back up, um, head and dig dig up. Um, <laughs> is is from a, a health perspective? Is there anything that is currently available to you know the the people that can afford it, but actually it's becoming cheaper, and as that technology advances, it could actually have great impacts on the people that currently can't afford it. I'm thinking about how technology always starts and very expensive, and then it, and it comes down. Is there anything that you're tracking that that could be really powerful? Um, like wearables and that kind of thing are there. Um. Wearables are good, especially if you're looking at them from a motivational point of view. Um, they can be helpful. I'm, But, again, I'm always a bit like a lot of the clients that I've had, I want to coach them about feel your, you are the best gauge on how you feel rather than an external measure. Um, you know, that's the hope eventually like something like Desk Coach becomes prolific enough that it's affordable um, for pretty much everyone. And I, I, I would hope that's where a lot of tech would want to go the price where the price just ratchets up and up and up and it becomes more and more exclusive and then you're moving away from the whole reason why you did things which was to help people so and try and get bumps on seats and so i i think it's it's something that i'd be keen on i mean there's lots of fitness apps and there's lots of um health apps and that kind of thing out there um I think what become, it becomes so cluttered a space, such a confusing space that it's hard to know which ones are legit and which ones are there to take your money. Thinking about uh, Australia and many world countries uh, facing the ageing population problem, what, what startup opportunities do you see in that space where such 
big amounts of, of societal strain is going to be happening, but surely through that, there's going to be opportunities. What, well, what do you say? Yeah, there's big opportunities there. You want me to give away all my ideas, Alex? <laughs> um, so I, I, I work with the mature age population in um, my fitness space. So um, I started at the local gym. I started a, and uh, I can't stand the name, so I'm not going to say what the name of the class is. Um, but I started a class for mature age um, adults and, it started with five people. There's now 60 people in the class. Um, and so it's, there's, a, there's a massive market there. Um, and I think there are a lot of opportunities in that space, especially because um, the mature age population also becoming more tech savvy. So one of the ladies in my class actually runs um, at the a local community centre, runs a tech program. So people of her, her vintage can come in and learn about how to use an Apple phone. I mean, sometimes I'm like, I think I should attend. Not ideal given I'm a tech founder, but you know what I mean. It's So they could go in and use, figure out how to get onto the internet, how to use Facebook, how to use, you know, whatever social media that they want to use. Um, and I think leveraging that is going to be super important, especially in spaces like if we had that, in COVID times and all those lockdowns because a lot of mature age, especially if they're in retirement villages, et cetera, loneliness is a thing. It is it is legitimately a thing, right? And we could kind of help that through technology. I, th- I still believe face-to-face is important as well, um, but from a de-risking point of view, you could be leveraging a lot of that. In the pure health space, there is a lot we could be doing specific falls in terms of falls preventions like there's some really cool tech out there at the moment anyway already heading heading down this space a group called umbo um and they've got some really cool tech around monitoring falls um it just it was really for me when i heard about it, i was like oh that's a really smart way of approaching it and so i think when clinicians have worked in that space for a long period of time they can kind of see the gaps they can because they're seeing things on repeat and they're seeing how those things are happening and then they're measuring the outcomes and seeing how how do we actually improve someone's state from here to here? What do we do to, to get them to achieve their goal, right? Um, to scale that into technology um, is important. Um, and it, it is being helped along by the fact that that ageing population is becoming more tech savvy. So I think it's a, it's a large market, one that we want to step into. I just got to focus on these other ones first we've covered so many different topics we've covered aged care corporate health employee health working from home health school health is there anything else in health that you see opportunities bubbling up or or have seen changes in the last five years um, that are making other things possible I feel like we've done a pretty good job. Though. Yeah, we have. I think we've talked about a lot. Of, I, ju- I just think the opportunities are going to continue. I think they're going to get bigger and bigger. Um, I think more people from my space going into, because it's scary, right? Like it's super scary coming from a space where you're quite comfortable with what you do going into. I cannot tell you how scary it was because I could barely turn a computer on before, like that level of tech, um, never played video games, all sorts. It was very scary going, oh, well, I'm going to go and do a health tech startup kind of thing. <laughs> so so I, I, I think the more that people come from my space into tech, uh, 
I I think it, it will be a, there'll be lots of opportunity, and I think it, it it could go a long way to helping a lot of people. Um, so yeah, I'm, I mean that that that's a really good question because like the the people that aren't in the the tech space yet, but all of these you know osteopaths and physios and exercise psychologists, all these people. What would your message be to them who are currently listening to this but sitting there and thinking like, oh, maybe, but it just seems so hard. What what do they need to hear to take that first step? If it pisses you off enough, go and do something about it. That's ultimately what got – I just got so frustrated by having the same conversations with people and always just being on the receiving end of people who – like my, my clients – who just didn't believe in themselves and they just they didn't know where to access the information. Um, and it it really wasn't that hard for me to help them. So it just got to that point where I just got so frustrated that I was like, no, nah, I have to do something about it. So I think it's that, you know, bias towards action rather than thinking about it. Like definitely have your experience and and know what you're trying to do, what you what problem you're trying to solve and, and how you're gonna solve it. Um but it is, I would also suggest I have been extremely fortunate um, in the willingness of people around me to help because both of you, both of you know, because you both, both mentored me, like the stuff that you guys have taught me about. You've, you remember my, our first conversations and you're probably like, oh, God, where do we start kind of thing. So the willingness of people to just jump in and help and not like they get anything out of it and to steer you in the right direction and to there's so many people in the tech space that are willing to do that for you. I have been blown away by it, absolutely gobsmacked at how many people are like, oh, Lee, do you want to try this? How about I introduce you to this person? Oh, have you thought about it this way? And I'm like, so I I, I would suggest that it's a very supportive industry. Well, from my experience, it has been. Um, and if you can just hook in, with a couple, if you're brave enough to like leverage some of the communities like Guild Gather, for example, the Guild of Entrepreneurs, any of the accelerators or, um, you know, there's there's lots of pre-startups like learning about um, raising ready, Elizabeth, for example, learning about fundraising. I would have zero idea, right? But I had a, I was on a mentor yesterday, last night on um, something for Sydney Uni and um, they asked me a question about cap raising and I was like, I can answer this. <laughs> so, so there's there there are so many opportunities as well where you can learn. And if you like learning, if you like being in an environment where you're not the smartest person in the room, do it. And that's one thing you are real well, one of the many things you are very good at, Lee, is is asking for help. And that's I think one it's the biggest hurdle because most people are very happy to help. It's just um, you know, I think when you're when you can be vulnerable and and you know, again just except that no one in this world knows everything. So might as well, uh, you know, leverage others when you can. And, um, you know, like exactly like you've, you know, you've done, you've just absolutely uh, killed it in the startup community because you're so active and so engaged and so just keen to keen to learn as much as possible. So I think um, that attitude is is something that, you know, so many founders could benefit from. <laughs> it is it is perfect. I, I couldn't agree with everything that you both just said. Um, it's beautiful. Love it. Thanks for listening. If this episode fanned your flame, we'd love to help. Just go to guildofentrepreneurs.com. 
We are a decentralized community, ensuring that every entrepreneur is supported. And we'd love to see you there. Until next time, bye.